All right, and good morning, Richmond Church. Welcome to week three of a series that we're calling 49 Days. And the idea of this series, if you haven't been with us, you can check out the podcast online. But the idea of this series is that we believe that most people, deep down inside of us, there's this desire that we want to have a stronger relationship with Christ. We want to be growing that relationship. It's not so much that we don't want to grow. It's that we don't have the, the skills and the resources in place to allow there to be that growth. Uh, first week we talked about comparing spiritual growth to kind of an athletic competition. There's a training that's involved to get us to where we want to be. It doesn't happen overnight. We don't wake up one morning and say, okay, I want to be more spiritual. And instantly we're more spiritual. There's a process we go through. We're, we're not just trying. We're training ourselves. And Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy. And he says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's not just going through disciplines just for the sake of going through them. It's saying that everything we do wants to drive home a certain distinct point. Jesus, when he is here on earth, he says the greatest thing we can do is love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. And the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. So as we talk through these next seven weeks, well, we start off with seven weeks of disciplines. We have six weeks left. The next six weeks, as we talk through these disciplines, trying to figure out what are the seven things we could most quickly instill into our life where the seven disciplines we need to have to grow. And so we start off last week talking about Bible study, how as we approach God's word, the Bible is the, is the clearest way God communicates with us. He can communicate with us through a variety of ways. He can communicate with us through prayer, through godly counsel. All of those things are true. But the clearest, most, most subject, uh, objective truth we have is when God communicates with us through his word. The second we're talking about today, the second discipline we want to instill into our life is this discipline of, of prayer. And I think it's one of the ones that, if you're like me and it's very easy, you can say, okay, I want to pray, I want to get more involved, I want to be more spiritual. And we start praying and we have in our mind, okay, I'm seriously going to start praying about things. And we start praying, but we live in this ADD culture. If you guys realize, like, it seems like everyone nowadays, we're all ADD and we start praying and we're focused on a topic, but as we're praying, all of a sudden our mind starts wandering to other things. And we get away from it and we're like, whoa, wait, what happened? I was really focused just a little while ago. How do I allow my my mind to wander in these things? And it can happen to the best of us. I remember when I first started going to church, I went to a church. It was kind of intimidating for for the guys who would have to take up the offering. We had all men that would take up the offering in that that church. And and, and they all had to wear like coats and ties. They all had to be all dressed up. And and they had just like this. They had six different areas where they came and, and they'd come take up the offering and they would walk down front, and, and I remember as a young kid, I just started going to church, just gave my life to Christ, and a couple of weeks into that, I showed up to church, had a suit and tie on, and they said, hey, J.J., why don't you take up the offering? And I knew that the pastor just spontaneously, he didn't tell anybody, he would say, okay, Brother J.J., come on up here, you're going to pray for the offering. And for me, like praying in front of people, and I'd just been following Christ for a couple of weeks, and praying in front of people was so intimidating. I used to hope, like if they asked me to, to take up the offering, I would always want to be like on that side, on the outside, hoping the pastor would be looking here and not looking over here because I didn't want him to call on me because that kind of freaked me out, the, the pray in public and to not know what's coming and, and what are you going to say and, and all of those things. And, and, and I think we can all get that way because sometimes we miss what, what prayer is about. And, and it came to a head when one of the guys who, who, at least in my mind, came to a head, one of the guys who was, was there all the time and he was really kind of a leader within the church uh, he, he was actually called to come up and, and to pray for the offering. And he got up, and, and, and it's not blaming him because we can all go through this kind of where prayer becomes a routine in our life. 
But he comes up and he's just supposed to pray for God to bless the offering. It's kind of a generic prayer. We pray, you know, that's just what people do. And he gets up and he starts to pray. But the words that come out of his mouth, you could tell he kind of his heart wasn't really into it that morning. And he got up there and he started mumbling through the prayer. And he said, God, I want to pray your blessing on this food that we're about to eat. There's a meal? <laughs> I didn't even know this. And, and, but, but sometimes we go through motions where, where prayer just becomes routine. There's no discipline involved. It's not, it's not preparing ourselves for godliness. It's just kind of, okay, someone told me I should pray about something, so I'm just going to go, I'm going to pray about it. And, and there's two things we should strive for in our prayer life. Number one is that it be consistent. And number two, that it be earnest. It means that we're sincere, that we're passionate about the things that we're praying for. There are people who come up to us all the time and they'll say, hey, can, can you pray for me? I got this going on in my life. And, and, and a lot of times we give this, this response, well, of course I'm, uh, I'm going to pray for you. And then how many of us have ever given that response saying, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. And then we go back to our lives, we go back to all the stuff that's happening and we totally forget. Has anybody ever done that before? Like we genuinely, we mean to pray for them. Uh, in fact, I started to develop a habit in my life where if, if someone comes up and says, hey, could you pray for this? As often as possible, as often as I can remember, I say, you know what, let's pray right now so I don't forget to do that. Our prayers should be consistent. They should be earnest. So we're going to get into this today. If you have your Bibles, you could open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going get, to get into this idea of, of what prayer is and, and how prayer can become more consistent in our life and how prayer can become more earnest. Because here's what prayer is. Prayer at the root of what it is. Prayer flows from a belief in the power of God and a genuine concern for his creation. In particular, we are his creation. We are his workmanship. And so prayer flows from a belief in the power of God and a genuine concern about his creation. And, and what I've seen in my life is, is just as, as, as I start to get it right, and I don't always get this right, but as I start to get it right, the greater the investment in anything in life, but especially in prayer, the greater the investment the greater the concern. And I think this is the biggest thing about prayer is that the more we invest ourselves in it, the more we start to care about it. A few years ago, when, when my wife and I were first married, I started off in, in ministry. I was actually an athletic director and a basketball coach at a school. And I, I just, I was coaching this basketball team and I started to invest a lot of time in this team. We we're going to practices. I was getting to know the guys in the team. They were really, really good guys. They were really, really talented. And, and we started spending more time together, hanging out, playing basketball, practicing basketball, running, all the stuff that you had to do to get better as athletes. And I found that the more time I spent with these guys, the greater the investment, the greater the concern. So I'm spending time with this team, and they're really, really good. They're really, really talented. And we won our, our division, and we went on to the district championship. We made it to the championship game, and, and we lost. And I just remember thinking, for those seniors, it was the last time I was going to get a chance to coach them. It was the last time we we're going to be together as a team. And as the clock struck down to zero on this loss in this championship game, like, like tears started flowing from my eyes because I, not, not, I didn't, didn't realize how much I invested, but just because of the, the heart investment, because of the sacrifice, because I was genuinely concerned for these guys, there's much, much more concern. And so it is as we approach prayer that, that if, if we go into prayer, and it's one of those things where it's very easy to pray when we're comfortable, and, and maybe, we, like as we're going to bed at night, we, we start praying, and as we're praying, we fall asleep, and that's fine. But the more we invest in this, the more we invest in prayer, and ultimately, the more we invest in believing God is powerful, 
and believing that we have a genuine concern for his creation. Sometimes the greatest miracle that happens in our prayer life. I believe God still works miracles. I believe we can pray for his, his uh, to get involved in specific situations. But sometimes the greatest miracle that happens in prayer is how God changes our heart about a specific topic. And today, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look into this teaching. And it's actually part of a greater teaching called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus given. And as I, as I studied this out this week... I, I see that there's actually two different places where Jesus teaches on this idea of what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. In one specific instance, they, the disciples come and say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Here Jesus gets into this teaching. We're going to get into that in a second. But way before that, in, in Matthew chapter 6, starting off in verse 5, it says this. Jesus teaching on prayer in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is going to teach on two different groups of people that misunderstand what prayer is about altogether. The first one of these religious people who who love to stand on street corners. It was a custom of their day that people would stand at certain times during the day and they would stand and they would pray to God. But these particular people would make a show of it. They'd go on the street corners and they'd want to just make a big show. They'd use, use flowery language. They'd, they'd, they'd try to draw attention to themselves because of their prayer. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't be, and, and he, he doesn't mince words here. He, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't be like them, for they don't love God. They're not believing in the power of God. They're not genuinely, genuinely concerned for others. They love to stand and pray in synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. The purpose of their prayer is simply that others would see them. He goes on to say, continuing in that line, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who's in secret rewards you. He says, when you pray, and this is not at all blasting public prayer. We pray publicly in in church. Uh, Jesus actually prayed publicly himself. But it's saying that if our whole prayer life is based upon, I want to make a show of, of how I pray, I want to sound spiritual in front of my friends. I want everyone to to see that I am a great prayer. Well, if we're doing it for that purpose, our goal is to please man, not to please God. Our goal is, is to make us look religious. There's nothing wrong with public praying. It's not what Jesus is getting at. What Jesus is driving home, because he prayed himself publicly, what he's driving home is, yes, I pray publicly, but I pray a whole lot more privately. And in fact, I know that life is busy and I know that there's all these things competing for our attention. And so he says, way more important than us praying publicly is for us to do this. When you pray, go into your room. Find a place you can get away from all the mess. When we pray, some of the best things we could do in our modern context is close the computer, turn off the TV, shut down the cell phone. Say, God, I know I need a a specific time. Maybe pick a certain time of the day. Say, God, I need this time to communicate with you. See, if, if Bible reading and Bible study is the main way God communicates with us, prayer is the main way we communicate with him. And so for us to grow, an essential part of that growth is for us to have a committed and an earnest prayer life. So he begins by blasting the, the hypocrites and saying how they're praying. It's not healthy. It's not beneficial. Then he goes on in the next verse, verse 7. And he, and he starts to, to kind of rip on the, the Gentiles or, or the pagans of, of that day. And he says this, When you pray, do not 
heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who like to stand on the street corners and make a show of it, but also don't pray like pagans. Uh, particularly in Jesus' day, they, the pagans would pray to these false gods, and they'd think that if they just kept repeating the same things over and over, if they kept chanting the same things and doing the same things, if there was this kind of this rote memorization of prayers, if they went through those, those cycles, it would somehow appear religious to, to their brand of whatever God was. And Jesus says, don't pray like them either because it's, it's really meaningless. Uh, don't heap up empty phrases. They think because of that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. In fact, he says, God already knows your needs. I'm convinced the more I read the Bible, the more I approach Scripture, prayer changes things. A lot of times, and I believe God can interject himself in our life and change our lives in a huge way, and we need to pray for that. Right now, Rich Point Church, there are some people hurting, going through some really, really difficult circumstances and the best thing we can do as a church is to pray, saying, God, we believe you can work in this situation. We're trusting you to work in that situation. But a lot of times when we pray, the biggest miracle that happens is the change that happens in our own life as we pray. So Jesus gives his teaching about how not to pray. And then he picks up in verse 9, and he says, pray like this. And, and he begins this, this teaching on the Lord's Prayer, what we call the model prayer. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He begins with this prayer of adoration. He says, God, as I begin this prayer, I want to let my first petition is about how great you are. My, my first part of this prayer is adoration. So it begins, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And finally in verse 11, he, after mentioning to God, God, this is how I want to pray. I, w- I want to lift you up because you are holy. Your name is great. Past that. Now I want to get into my, my specific needs, my personal needs in the context of community. Verse 11, he says, Now my needs are this. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He has three different things he says, praying adoration to God. And then he has three specific things he prays for himself. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. Three prayers of adoration, three prayers of petition. Three prayers saying, God, you're great. And three prayers saying, God, now I want you to interject yourself into our specific situation. Theologians use these two words. They say about God that he is transcendent. That means he is out there. But they also say about God that he is imminent. He is right here with us. It's what separates Christianity from just about every other world religion is that we believe that God is, is interested in the minutia and the details of our life. And because of that, as we pray, God is a God who's generally concerned for our situations. And so as we pray, and, and we're going to get into this in a second, but as we pray about specific things, as we pray about specific people, we believe that God can work miracles in these situations. And so we pray. But who do we pray for? How do we pray for them? This could be a whole completely different sermon. We don't have time to get into each of these uh, in depth. But as I read through Scripture, as comparing Scripture to Scripture, here's just a list of people we should be praying for on a consistent basis. I remember when I first started going to church, and, and I was actually in, in a Sunday school class that our pastor taught. And he was talking about this idea of actually going, he called it a prayer closet, which as, as a 19-year-old kid, he talked about a prayer closet. And I thought like super spiritual people built houses with like special closets to go and pray for. I'm like, well, what's that look like? And, and I didn't understand what he meant, but he said, he needed a place to go to get away and, and focus on these things. And he'd talk about praying for like an hour a day. 
I was like, whoa. Like, I pray for five minutes, and my mind's wandering. How, how do you focus, and what do you pray for? He started teaching some of these things, and the Bible says, here are just some of the people you should be praying for. Number one, we pray for ourselves. It's not selfish. Uh, the Bible says to do that. We should be doing that on a regular basis. Actually, the prayer here, give us this day our daily bread, beginning right here. Uh, pray for ourselves. Number two, pray for our families. Obviously, it's a big deal. On a list of priorities, God comes first, our family comes second. Pray for other believers. Uh, obviously, as a church, it's good if we lift each other up. Pray for our government leaders, even if you don't like them. They're still your leaders, and that goes from the top down, from the president down to our local city governments and, and, and other leaders in our lives, students if you're in school, praying for your teachers, uh, people if, if, if we have jobs, adults if we have jobs, praying for our bosses. And, and, and sometimes we think, what, but I don't like that person. It's okay, he's still your boss. He's, he's still the leader. He's, he's still children paying for, praying for your parents. I can't tell you enough how important it is as we celebrate moms today. How important it is to have some of the parents that we have that have paved the way for us to be who we are today. Continue to pray for them. And again, even if we don't like particularly where they're at, I'm going to get into this in a little bit. Even if we don't like who they are, if they're annoying, if they're frustrating, still we pray for them. As we pray for other believers, the Bible says we also should pray for unbelievers. And just in case we miss anyone, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible actually says, pray for all men. I think we kind of covered everybody, but just in case, the Bible says pray for everybody. And that's cool, that's powerful, but there's, there's a couple of them that I want to get to. Uh, one thing I want to get to is the Bible speaks distinctly about as a church, we should be praying for our church and our church leaders. A couple of weeks ago, about six or seven weeks ago, we made a transition uh, when, when we kind of led and church was led and I came on as, as lead pastor. Before that happened, a couple weeks before that happened, a couple of guys contacted me and they said, JJ, we want to let you know. They go to the church here. They said, we want to let you know that we've been meeting up once a week and just praying for the church. We don't even know exactly how to pray, but once a week they meet at someone's house and they start walking the house and just kind of walking around the property praying for the church and trying to listen to God about, hey, what's going on in our church? How can we pray for the church? So they approached me and said, how can we pray how, how can we better pray for what's happening? And at first I said, you know, I just want to thank you guys for that. You don't know how much that means. Gave them a list of things. Here's the things I see as we start this transition that we can pray for. And then a couple of weeks ago, I came in on a Sunday morning. And, and normally there's a lot of people that get, get here early. The band's here early setting up. And I come in, it was about 7.15 that particular Sunday morning. And as I pulled up, some of those men were actually walking the property of the church. Praying for the church. I said, that's, that's, that's awesome. Like, I saw them, and just, just walking up, I was getting encouragement from seeing them doing that. I let them know that week how much I appreciated that. One of those guys this week came to me and said, hey, we'd love to see that expanded. And so if, if you want to be part of that, and that's why I asked you to hold on to your connection card, if, if you want to be part of that, because I want to say this, when we pray, we experience the movement and presence of God in our life. If we want God to bless our church, we have to be praying for our church. Now, that doesn't have to, have to happen in a super organized way. Uh, they're here some Sunday mornings before church, 7, 15, 7, 30, just walking the property, praying for it. If you want to show up next Sunday morning and join that, that's fine. They might be here. They might not be here. If you just want to start praying for the church, I know we already have the Facebook group set up for the 49-day challenge. But if you specifically want to be part of this group, it's actually set up by one of the men who started this. If you just take your connection card, write somewhere in there, prayer, they set up a Facebook group. And here's what we're looking for. It's just through that group, as you pray for the church, just to use that as a forum to say, here's, here's what God is revealing to me. 
here's as I pray. If you want to come Sunday mornings, that's fine. If you want to pray throughout the week. Thursday night, uh, our band was up here practicing, and my wife was, was part of that. And so I just came up here as, as a church, and, and as a church, one of the areas that, that's so close to us, there's a neighborhood right here that I just said, I'm just going to go, and I'm start running through the neighborhood, just exercising, disciplining my body, but also as I do that, discipline my, my spirit, and start praying for these neighborhoods. So if you want to be part of that prayer group, just use your connection card, uh, write in that prayer. We'd love to have you part, be a part of that. Kind of organic, it's not a super organized thing, but as we pray, uh, we see God move and we see God work in our life. But one verse I do want to mention is going to show up on the screen as well. In Luke chapter 6, verse 28, there's different groups of people we should pray for. And I get that we should pray for families. I get that we should pray for ourselves and the church and government leaders. I understand all of that. But there's one that I think is harder than all the others. And it's actually mentioned in a couple of different spaces. But Luke chapter 6, verse 28 says this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You see, it's easy when it's people that I care about. When I talk about my family, I love my family, and I want to pray for them on a regular basis that God does some wonderful things in their life. But here the scripture teaching is not just pray for people when it's convenient, not just pray for people when you love them. See, prayer flows from a belief in the power of God and a genuine concern for his creation. And God created the person that you don't care about. God created the person who cursed you. God created the person who cut you off in traffic. God created the person who who you don't like at work, the manager who's treating you unfairly. The Bible says we should pray for them. Here's what I don't want. I don't want our prayer for that person to look like this. God, hey, it's me again. You know that person over there? I know you love them. I don't understand how you love them because they're really, really annoying, but I know you're a God of love, so I know that, that you love them. And so, God, since you love them so much, couldn't you just take them home to be with you? <laughs> like, like, okay, I could pray that prayer. That's not the prayer that we're talking about. We're praying, saying, God, I want you to work in people's lives. Like, God, I, I genuinely want to, people to experience your presence and your moving. And, God, I don't particularly care for this person. They've treated me wrong. They've cursed me. They've abused me. They've been really, really annoying. They've done me wrong. But God, I know I'm supposed to pray for them. And, I'm re- and I really know at the end of the day, I'm supposed to pray for you to bless them. And I'm not saying I like that. But I'm going to pray for them. And here's how God starts to change our perspective in this. Is that if we committed to do that, if we took the person at work this week, or, or maybe if we're a student, the teacher at school this week, that we dislike the most. And we said for the next five weeks, I'm going to pray every day for that person. And we're going to pray consistently, and we're going to pray earnestly. God might not make them a better person. God might not wake them up and say, oh, I've been wrong all my life, and I'm going to give my life to Christ, and everything's going to be better. But God will change our attitude towards that person. No longer will they be so annoying. No longer will I hope the worst for them. But the greater the investment I have in that situation, 
the more concerned I become. So I start to look for chances to serve them instead of being fed up with them. I believe that God is a miracle-working God, and I believe that we pray for Him to move. I heard a great story. Uh, it's in one of the books I recommended. A great story about how God uses prayer to change people's lives. There was a preacher, and he was actually speaking at a a Christian college and a group of the pastors there said, hey, we want to pray for you before the service begins. And so they call him in the room and, and, and they said, once you get down on your knees, we're going to pray for you. And they all laid hands on him before they prayed, which if you've ever been in that situation, it can get really uncomfortable really quickly because you have eight men like kind of leaning on you as they pray. And they pray long prayers. And the longer the prayers go on, the, the more tired they become. So they start leaning on you more and more. And so now you have eight men like kind of leaning on, on your head and your neck. Your neck's getting tired. You're just praying for the whole thing to end. And, and, and he says that they're praying. And one guy out of the whole group starts praying. But he doesn't pray for like God's anointing on him. or any, He starts praying for a guy down the road. And he says, God, I, I want to pray for Richard Stolzfus. He lives in the, in the silver trailer on down the road. And this guy's thinking... I think God doesn't need the directions. I think God knows who you're referring to. But he starts praying for this guy. Pray for this guy down the road. He lives in the trailer. He's about to leave his wife and three kids. God, I pray you change his heart. And the guy's just thinking, I don't know why you're praying for this right now and, and all these things. And he gets done praying and he goes and he speaks and he leaves. And as he leaves, he starts heading out of town and he sees a guy hitchhiking. And he pulls over to pick him up. And he says, hey, he introduces himself. And the guy's like, hey, I'm Richard Solstice. So of course you are. So, so he gets on the road. He doesn't explain the whole situation. He gets on the road, and he makes a U-turn, and he starts heading back in the opposite direction of the direction that he came. And the guy's like, whoa, wait a minute. Where are you going? I thought you were leaving town. And the guy's like, no, I'm taking you back. You're about to leave your wife and your kids, and you can't do that. And the guy's like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> How do you know that? And he doesn't say anything. He keeps driving on, and he goes to the specific trailer that the guy prayed for. And he pulls up at the trailer, and the guy's like, wait a minute. How do you know where I live? And the guy looks at him and says, well, God told me because he had in that prayer. He's like, God told me where you live. And the guy at this time is freaked out. He's like, what? So he goes running up. His wife greets him. She comes running out. You're back. You're back. And he comes, he goes running up. He starts whispering in, his, in, in, her, in her ear. And all of a sudden her eyes get like huge. She's like, what? And, and so he walks up and he's, and he's like, hey, I need to talk to the two of you. And, and they listen. And through that, those two people became followers of Christ. Because this, this crazy prayer that seemed so out of place at that time, God used that. God can use prayer in our life. God can change life because of prayer. We need that as a church. We need people praying for the church. We need people praying for our country, for our leaders, for each other. We need that. So this week, each week, we have, here's what we're reading, here's what we're studying, here's what we're applying. The application this week, as we get ready to wrap up, is starting tomorrow, and I want you to write these three things down. I want you to write down three things specifically that you want to pray for. If you've taken the 49-day challenge and you're committed to do this, pray for those things. I want you to write them down. Physically write those down. And pray for those things for the remaining six weeks or until the situation itself is resolved. Commit to pray those, to write those things down and pray for those every day until the challenge concludes or beyond that or until the situation is resolved. And I want to do this. I want you to write those down because we're going to see answer to some of those requests. We're going to see answers come in. At the end of the five weeks, I think if nothing else, God's going to change the heart of our church towards those situations. But I also believe God's going to perform some miracles in those situations. Pray for those for the next five weeks. 
And at the end, my email address, jj at ridgepointchurch.org. I would love to hear some of the stories about what God is doing in your life because of the prayer, but also what happens through that prayer. Let's pray.